You're listening to the We Are Libertarians podcast network. Find all of our shows at wearelibertarians.com. We love, as libertarians, how can we not love to talk about the enemy, the future, what we're going for, this shining city on a hill that seems so just just out of our reach. We want that world set free in our lifetime, and we talk over and over about what that could look like. And that's fair, because a big selling point on liberty is that people understand that the end destination looks awesome. So it makes sense that we talk about that end destination looking awesome. But what we tend to lack is a lot of those baby steps along the way. You'll see libertarians right now arguing about if this government measure makes things better or worse for libertarians in the long run. There's sometimes we see, you know, something like, you know, gay marriage recognition and we say, well, this is probably a step in the right direction or, you know, something that we see like, hey, you know, or a a foreign intervention is complicated. We say, well, well, maybe we're stepping in to do something right, but does it actually end up doing something more wrong? Uh, these types of issues are something that that we need to talk a lot about to say, you know what? I see the, the mountain. I see that city on a hill. I'm having trouble finding the path that gets up to it. So I brought Samantha on today. Uh, she has a passion of talking about that. And uh, Samantha, I appreciate having you on um get us started where do we start well i suggest we start with samuel conkin the third and his class analysis libertarian like marxists aren't the only people with class analysis in fact classical liberal class analysis predates marxism and but people don't when they think of class analysis they don't think of libertarians they think of marxism or right-wing kooks uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, that that is certainly in America. That's certainly true. Uh, in in I have some friends over in uh, England, and they certainly consider libertarianism kind of be like a far right ideology. In other countries, it, it's seen as center kind of, uh, and that's a combination of both the culture in those individual countries, and so little libertarian culture is a little bit different here in the states, you know. But it's also. Uh, it's also has to do with just the, the setup of the rest of the country and, and where their politics have been. It's amazing how usually ex-Soviet countries tend to see libertarian as a very moderate uh, <laughs> uh, point of view as, a, as opposed to a right-wing one or even a left-leaning one, mm. uh, especially when you get into, uh, you know, South Asia and uh, I was going to say Southeast, but East and West Asia's both see libertarianism as kind of a left ideology. Uh, you mentioned Konkin. Uh, he is the founder of agorism and agorism yes. is kind of there. <laughs> maybe the easiest way to describe it is doing the right thing, regardless of what the law says. Uh, and yeah, basically you, exchanging goods and making goods and services outside of state approval or, or, or official or outside official channels. That's what it is. 
It could include anything from feeding homeless people well licensed to like selling a kilo of weed or something. Right. Doing what you would like to do. I know the big thing about agorists and where they mm. tend to butt heads with libertarians, especially the capital L libertarians, is mm. they believe that success comes from outside of politics. Now, if you've listened to this show, you're probably familiar with me abandoning politics and taking on a cultural means uh, to battle this out. And this is something I learned from my friends, uh, Nick Irwin, David Valentine. They got me started on agorism, and it's something that I strongly believe in, that you should do the right thing regardless of what the government says. And I've kind of given up believing, you know, I'm... Uh, it took some time. It wasn't an overnight change, but kind of felt that that government wasn't libertarians using politics was not a, a recipe for long term success. That's just fundamentally contradictory. And I, I, I combine aggregate agorism with mutualism. So, like, I'm kind of a hybrid philosophy. And mutualism was started by Proudhon. He, he, and his whole thing is about like the golden rule and like which is a good way to justify the NAP. And it's about like, instead of like dominating each other or building hierarchies or states and stuff like that, we we basically get, have re reciprocal relationships as equals. And that's where his markets come in. And he was, he influenced Marx, but he also influenced American individuals, anarchists, who didn't influence, you know, libertarians as a, as a whole. It's certainly a, an evolutionary thing. Proudhon, I find to be one of the most despicable people that ever walked the earth. Yeah. Um, like, but even he said that, like, he wishes a society so progressive that he would be hung as a reactionary, just beheaded or something. <laughs> well, so <laughs> a society so progressive that they'd reject Proudhon. Well, I mean, most of Proudhon, I think, uh, would probably be uh, rejected nowadays and i think mutualists would find i did a debate about mutualism versus capitalism with somebody mm. since i am a capitalist and i find that i have uh i have some my issues with proton aren't uh reconcilable but i accept that his ideology has evolved right into mm. a point where mutualism is kind of in a different state i haven't seen a mutualist that advocates for things that proton did like replacing all entertainment with alcohol uh, usually the first chapter of every Prudhoe book is how you have to execute all religious people first. And then yeah, we can get yeah. started having a libertarian society. And it's like, <sighs> like, come on, buddy. You look at a little, uh, it, it's kind of like he kind of had the state without the state kind of yeah. suggestion, but I don't want to harp on him too much. Cause like I said, his ideology has evolved. Mutualism can be uh, the libertarian mutualists. So long as it's voluntary, hey, it's all good. Yeah. You know what I mean? I, I think mm -hmm. for me, I see these different economic systems as something that compete and would do well, uh, do well to to hey, compete, make each other better. You know, Christy and Ron, hello. Thanks for joining us. Um, so what what is it when when you are getting somebody started when when we talk about agorism, when we talk about mm. conking? What do you think the first steps are to somebody who has been using, say, the Libertarian Party or the Republicans or the Democrats to try to advance liberty? Yeah. How, how, what's the first thing you would tell them about how to, like, why they should get off of the train that they're on and maybe try something different? 
We'll just point out how much money the Libertarian Party has wasted. Like I used to be in the Libertarian Party, and I saw how first it was rigged against popular candidates like Vermin Supreme, with someone who doesn't know anything, nobody ever known like Joe Jorgensen. And I've seen how they wasted money on like frivolous stuff like hotel rooms. And on top of the fact that like the whole party itself, how we engage in agorism and direct action and and other taxes like libertarian municipalism, we would have had we would have had way more success nowadays and way more promise than if the Libertarian Party exists. We're better off fundamentally without the LP as a movement. Yeah, the 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 goalposts will move if the libertarians ever get close. And we've seen this before. They were like, mm-hmm. oh, Gary Johnson, we need you to poll at, you know, 13% or whatever it was nationally, you know, before we'll give you a thing on the debate stage. And then he achieved it. And they said, did we th- say 13? We meant 18% or we meant 20%, right? Mm-hmm. And so as long as somebody else controls the rules, it's <sighs> okay, sports fans out there, this is my analogy. It's like saying you want to play the game of football and you can play and they'll give you fair ground, but they're going to start off up 49 to zero. And you're like, and they'll just, and then they'll laugh at you when you can't win. Oh, libertarians can't win. And it's like, you just gave yourself a 49 to nothing lead. Why am I playing this sport? I understand you may feel that you're good at it, right? Like politics, like, and there are libertarians who, through despite all the adversity managed to get elected locally, you know, and, or by state. And that is our highest achievement. And I think that's going to be our highest achievement because as soon as we become a legitimate threat, they're just going to shift the bolt, the goalposts again to kind of reestablish themselves. And so I just don't, I don't see it as something that can win. You mentioned the money, Samantha. And I think that's a good example because uh because time oh right it's just so much money so much time and you look at it and i i remember looking at the joe jorgensen numbers and i don't think this is her fault i think that the you know because what i saw was a lot of it was standard stuff i don't fault her for having you know a few hundred bucks in hotel rooms in every state i want her to go to all these different states what does strike me is egregious is when it's like oh you know of of all your money like 70% of it went to data and information, just trying to see like who to call, where to call. And I'm just like, that is so the things that could have been done with that cash could have helped a lot of people. Yeah. And those people, almost people mutually, something productive, like building entire economies outside the state and, and in building participatory democracy in our neighborhood. And then, and we can even use participatory democracy in our neighborhoods to, to confederate other neighborhoods and maybe take over a city. And you could use cities uh, with, and confederate other cities as a way to push out the government, like they have done in like Bar- like they're doing in Barcelona with like autonomous municipalism or like libertarian municipalism or or new municipalism. That's the one exception I put for agorism. Is I do think that local elections are worth taking. Not national, maybe not even state, but like local election at least would you can just run as independent and just and if you have backup from the community, you can devolve power to the community and use some Georgism and reduce all the other taxes just so we can just so we can transition by using municipalities and libertarianizing them. 
Yeah, I've I've done debates kind of advocating for the ethics of voting before. Now there's certainly unethical votes. I'm not going to yeah. debate any of that. But there are times when it makes sense to vote defensively. Um, it's I believe it was Rothbard that equated it to being like slaves on a plantation. And if you have one master who will beat you harder than the others, then or you know, and and one master that will beat you less. It's not that we want to be beat at all. But if the only choice is to be beat by somebody, it makes sense to choose to get beat less. And there are times that, and, and I still don't advocate, adver, you know, advocate for any beatings at all, of course. Like, that is absolutely still the goal. But I don't know how well we represent ourselves when we abstain entirely. Um, because, I mean, there are places that had, like, one vote, <laughs> you know, ever vote for the sheriff. And guess what? That sheriff is still doing sheriff things. It's not like the whole community has, like, dis disavowed the police program. Unfortunately, that power exists whether you show up or not. Um, I know when I do these debates, I've cited historic examples of large groups of people who abstained from voting. And God bless them. I understand why they did it. But they're endings are not positive right like and so it, it's tough because it's like i i don't want to be coerced into this system of voting i don't want to be part of this system of violence but at the same time i want i want some kind of you know way out now the positive here as i don't i don't think voting uh matters all that much and so it's not something that's going to derail your activism like it what regardless of whether local you know there's a time with the most local possible Right. I mean, and, and regardless of where you stand on voting, you can vote, you cannot vote, you can still do your agorist, you know, work, right? Like do the work outside of it. Just and you're absolutely money in political parties is that's burning money. Yeah, and you're and you're absolutely right. Like um <laughs> that that there are examples of this money getting spent better doing other things by by and I don't even know that it has to necessarily be uh, political. Um, Hans makes a good point. We have records of time when no one voted for race. And guess what? They still filled the seat. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, that, that, that we can do just even just basic charity work. And you look at how... I prefer mutual aid, but go ahead. Mutual aid, sure. Now, mutual aid, I think, implies that both people are giving something. And I think that it's okay to just say, I'm giving something, I expect nothing in return. Yeah. Uh, and I think libertarians, you know, should become that cheerful givers. Because this is, I, I think we need to come to grips with the fact that we're not going to win a national, you know, we're not going to win the presidency within the next eight years or 20 oh, years probably, oh, right? Or maybe awesome. 200 years. And so what I do is I look at something like, you know, I, I look at personally, I look at Christianity. And for me, Jesus was the ultimate agorist because he was just like, you can keep your coins, you know, give all. I don't use coins. Give that to Caesar. You know, I don't, I don't I'm going to make a system outside of the system. Now, Jesus got killed, but he had the last laugh, you know, because he out survived the empire. Right. And I think that liberty should be something like that. It's not a political party taking over. It's this ideology that will outlive the empires that try to suppress it. And I think when you focus on things like giving and, and charity work that you talked about, Samantha, I think these are things that last past your generation. They might not make somebody vote differently tomorrow. And don't forget dual power. That's a big one. The what? Like dual power. When you build counter-institutions to 
that rival our current status capitalist institution. And so like, so, so, so it's a competition. So like, to the point where like when the state starts collapsing, then the new our organizations or, or institutions are going to take its place to avoid vacuum, that power vacuums. Yeah. Uh, you know, the, the, <laughs> the history of the world is kind of a history of uh, power grabs and yeah. it, it's hard to come to grips with because I think, you know, libertarians, this is not a matter of, not having power exist, power will always exist. It's a matter matter of keeping that power individualized, you know, and saying like this. That's is, as we, as possible. Yeah, I, I want the strongest individual possible, while having that individual not wield that power over others. You know, beat their swords into plowshares, so to speak. And um, okay, so so I think we still kind of need to, to hash out if we say, all right, so I'm gonna let's say I vote, don't don't vote, vote locally, like you said, whatever mm. it matters. What are some things that I can do just as an individual that help kind of, kind of carry the torch, you know, because we don't have a big, if we, if we decide to leave both the libertarian party and the main two parties, if I decide to leave those two behind, I'm, I'm kind of operating in a very small base here, right? So what mm. do I do with this small base to kind of get on this road to liberty? Basically, we, we have to be entrepreneurs and we also would have to uh, connect with like workers and that goes with agorist class too because because Mark, because Khan can distinguish between entrepreneurs and state capitalists and like this and the state capitalists are would needs the state to sustain itself like the gut like capitalist as in my usage not necessarily other libertarian usage requires state intervention and the state and capitalist and red market tiers have more to lose than than the gain and we need to focus on people who have more to win a world to win and nothing but change to lose it's we have to and we also have to get with co-ops and esops and other like cooperative businesses and there's like one in seven billion people one in seven billion of the world population are into some worker co-ops we could we could intervene with black markets and like chase out red markets we could do all sorts of stuff but like lighting money on fire while producing nothing isn't going to do anything all right, lot to break down there. Why don't you explain to everybody the difference between a black, gray, and red market? A black market is markets are illegal, like the red. But the difference is, is the difference between well, black market is like gambling, like with coins, illegally gambling, like in Texas, gambling is legal. Black market, red markets are like paying someone to kill someone. There's, that's the difference. Cartel stuff versus peaceful voluntary exchanges outside the legality or outside the main economic system. How do we keep a black market from becoming a red market? Because we've seen that before when we had the, uh, the Silk Roads, you know, the whole thing that, um, yeah. you know, the whole, the whole thing that Ross Ulbricht is in prison for is for ending up, you know, hiring somebody to kill somebody, you mm -hmm. know? And I mean, that person ended the whole thing was a sting. He never actually ended up doing it, but you know, like obviously that's kind of, even he found himself creating a black market and then getting kind of sucked into the red market, you know, area. So how, how do you, how would you prevent 
one from becoming the other. Honestly, I wish I know. Anyway, you have any ideas, Hody, or any comments? For me, culture is everything. Yeah, it uh, is definitely about culture. If you we need a people just, who reject murder, yeah. right? <laughs> who are like, yeah. I like as soon as I see peace, if government's not going to do it, the culture has to. So as soon as we see somebody with those red market inklings, we kind of go, hey, no, 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 no. We're not mm. doing any of that around here. And if you I do, mean, you're not going to be why gangsters rarely do drive-by shootings anymore because it's bad for business and like murders sure. are bad for business. Yeah, I mean, an incentive to avoid that, and we could also compete with like black red market agents for like drugs, for example. Yeah. I'm not saying we should sell drugs, I'm just saying hypothetically. And we could take the demand from them if they attack us, then we could defend ourselves, but never instigate the uh, offense, right? Uh, keeping power, keeping defense defensive is tough. I mean, look at mm. our own department of the of uh, defense right <laughs> yeah it's, it's pretty much the department of offense if we're being honest at this yeah. point but like you know it, it's that's it's where like the thing. nap comes in right where the nap comes in and again the nap isn't something that i think government can enforce and there are certainly uh there's certainly gray areas within it i think for me the culture needs to be one where we kind of try to stay away from the gray as much as possible. I think as libertarians, mm -hmm. we like to identify when you technically broke the rules. But for me, if you're like flirting with breaking the rules, that's kind of not the point of liberty, right? You should be mm -hmm. trying to like, you should be pro peace, not wondering how much violence you can do before you violated the nap, right? Like yeah. pro peace means you probably won't be anywhere close to that gray area of mm -hmm. it. And again, that's something that I think only culture can fix. You bring up a great point that it is bad for business to kill people. One of the biggest uh, criticisms of uh, of this, you know, libertarian society is, and unfortunately, we've had anarchists talk about this, but like hiring McMercenaries mm. at McDonald's, right? yeah. you know, you 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 pay a dollar and you go to sponsor somebody who performs abortions, and unfortunately, that's a real example that we've had within the the last few years of liberties. Somebody kind of talking about that, and it's like that's would that be popular enough? Would do you believe that McDonald's? would say yeah let like we think it's good for business let's go ahead and hire some mercenaries now i think that mcdonald's does plenty of bad things but usually they do so off the record and, and that's because it's so unpopular right like mm -hmm. they're not going to tell you the bad stuff because people generally recognize the bad stuff i don't think they're going to put mercenaries on the value meal anytime soon right yeah and i also like to mention there is a rothbard dot essay he wrote in the 60s called confiscation of the homestead, homestead principle and where he argues to like basically seize government properties and, and he, he kind of basically was afraid of his own shadow in a way because he was like don't confiscate companies who get le who get less than 50 percent government revenue in, in terms of like their own revenue but yet but yet unless they're selling napalm and i'm thinking to myself wait wait if they receive government privileges Shouldn't by definition they should be seized anyways, even if it's a little bit amount of net privilege and give it to the workers or the taxpayer? Like, and that's where like the in IWW comes in. I think the advantage of left libertarians that have like mutualists, for example, is that we can actually get working class people, we actually can help, we can actually get tenants on our side. There's so many people we get attracted, like right libertarians are alienated, especially with the whole paleo libertarian nonsense, which all it does is cause people to think we're just a bunch of pot smoking Republicans who just aren't selfish. Yeah, the 
<laughs> the the Republicans uh, and Democrats are kind of in a. I think that the nice part about agorism is you're not worried about the other team's strategy. You develop your own. Yeah, right? but like at this, some point you gotta seize the government property to fix homelessness. You have, and that's when you get. We have to have, and you have to have a big enough economy to support that. All right. So steps to seizing the economy. How do we like? Let, let's let's back up from there. You talked yeah, about jo joining a co-op. What are some good co-ops in the United States to join? Like if somebody lives here, where's a good place we can go to say, I want to work for a worker co-op. I want to try something else. Oh, you can just look at it online. I, 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 I'm kind of, there's like co-ops all over the world. Uh, I haven't looked into that, to be honest, but there's, there's electric co-ops and I'm sure you, or you can start your own ESOP. I, I I'm sorry, I shouldn't have thought that. No, it's okay. You know what? That's okay. It was kind of a kind of a jump thing. I only heard about. I guess there's internet service provider co-ops, and I only heard about that. Uh, I do have an advice for a union you could join. Oh, sh sure. Uh, the industrial like, workers of the world, even Konkin promoted them. All right. Uh, what what makes them uh, what makes them uh, so helpful? Well, because they don't take they don't take government money, they're be, they don't take government money. They don't campaign for politicians, and they have a track record of like labor militancy. Another thing is we have to figure a way to get around Taft Hartley laws and various labor regulations that prevent the unions from being able to do their thing in a free market. Because unions are part of a free market, whether we like it or not. And I and I think it's a good thing because. We need to look out for like workers, and we need to work look out for the little man. And if we don't, then what are we doing? We're just ceding ground to the state, and as and it goes against why I'm for the NAP and for libertarianism, also. Yeah. So the international workers of the world, um, industrial <laughs> workers of the world, the industrial workers of the world. I'm sorry, uh, are called the the, the wobblies. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, and uh, I've tried to look up the nickname, and it's kind of they don't know, <laughs> but yeah. uh, it's cute, right? Like mm. the Wobblies. Now, my my one beef with them is they kind of advocate for one big unit uh, union. Now, why would one big unit union be better than several competitive unions? Like, because for me, that's one that I I find that a lot of unions tend to get more evil the more they get monopolized. Mm -hmm. And I'm wondering where where you feel that maybe this single union could be an advantage. Well, for like, we have unions across multiple industries. You could like, you could stop the entire economy, your general strike, a libertarian general strike. But I, yeah, you do right. I don't like, I like parts of syndicalism. My issue with syndicalism is this, still a little too centralized for my taste. So, but you need, but if we can get a general strike in the economy, of libertarians and leftists, we could bring it to a halt, and that's when we make our demands. For uh, for our for our listeners, what is uh, what is anarcho syndicalism? Syndicalism is basically a tactic of using unions, uh, like militant labor unions, to like secure worker self management from the bosses. It's different from like reformist unions in that they want to like take the economy over so you can help work so workers can manage their own affairs and stuff. That's the difference between our economics because I prefer workers self-management and capitalists prefer a boss. But as long as we can coexist, that's fine. But like if we can 
we can have, we can gain government assets and corporations who receive money from the government. Suddenly, the whole black, the whole green black market economy will like grow huge, and we and that will even make the government more desperate. Unfortunately, which we do retaliate, but again, we need to build up the numbers and the, and the economy of of the non-government sectors. It's, yeah. it's like the last, the very end of the cycle thing. Sure. I mean, so that's like kind of end of the cycle. Now, um, obviously, you, you've mentioned kind of in the last two groups the, uh, that the groups are militant. Now, when we say militant, what can I, if I was to join a militant group like this, what would I expect like my, my duties to be? Uh, obviously people hear that and they're going to be afraid for their lives. Yeah. Um, so what, what is, uh, what does it mean to be militant? What would my expectations be if I were to join a militant Well, if we for government regulation, you can expect like wildcat strikes, general strikes, creative tactics, but the issue is government regulations like Taft hardly have put a, have, have basically bought off the unions being part of the state and corporations. But the, and you have, Defend the union. So we, if we're going to do legislation, we have to target Tom. We have to target like those labor laws. Yeah, I mean labor laws. So, so the thing with me and the left is we get along on on most things. I think, despite mm. my love of uh, capitalism, I do think that multiple economic theories yeah. should exist. Uh, if for nothing else, then they compete against each other and make yeah, them better, right? If I know that the people living in an anarcho-commune society are living better than an anarcho-capitalist society, then I'll just leave, right? Like mm -hmm. I will join something that is better for me. Now I have, I might have skepticism as far as like if it would work, but I find that that's kind of beside the point when I just mm -hmm. kind of say like, well, it doesn't matter as long as it's voluntary, as long as I can leave at any time. Yeah, low then, cost to entry and low cost to exit. Right, and 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 in fairness to both sides, both capitalists and communists have sucked on that point that, mm. as far as not letting you leave. Right, <laughs> like yeah. there have been examples in the past of like kind of a generally capitalist society not allowing people to leave mm. or enter, and then and then you know a communist or socialist society doing the same, and that's kind of when things get bad. But as long as we as libertarians understand that, like, hey, voluntary. That's the most important thing. Number one, no matter what, like as long as we can agree with that, I think I'm cool with that. Um, and we can get there. So, okay. So how, um, explain to me then like the effectiveness in the, in the short term of some of these like boycotts and strikes, how it might help lead like, give me just kind of, I don't, I don't need to know how it gets all the way to the end of like an anarchist mm. or libertarian society, but like, what is that going to look like in the meantime? Because I got kids to feed, I got, you well, know what I mean? This is where agorism comes house. in, because yeah. agorism, it helps, it helps union activity because when you can have a supplemental income and something to fall back on when you get fired, because a lot of corporations are going to fire people. So you get to back up the unions and then, and then the unions, when they win, they can funnel money back into the agora. You see where we syndicalist agorism, and then the mutualists, and then the mutualists could could do the monetary policy and do like zero interest loans, well, 0.5 percent, just to cover the expenses, which will create so much more businesses that it will crowd out the 
legal government market. So the idea is to kind of, if you Mix create strategies a, together, sure, you create a, a society that functions better, the demand for, and then let the demand from that kind of yeah. take over from there. Um. All right. So, so if I, so I start getting involved with these things and start saying, Hey, we've, we've make it done better. Do you, do you know why, like why now if co-ops are all over the world, why hasn't the idea really taken off yet? Do people just not know how much better they are? Well, are I they better? Like, like I would like, I was earlier this year, I was just watch. I was just in a random restaurant and then in the news, it was a mainstream network. They were talking about ESOPs and co-ops now. And it and like Mondragon, for example, they, there's like a one to nine, one to seven pay ratio. Yet they're wildly successful. I think the reason why co-ops are they pay more taxes. ESOP's not necessarily but co-ops pay more taxes. Sure. Yet they're more likely to survive economic downturns, and they're more likely to have more equal pay and more productivity, according to many studies and actual examples. So it's just a matter of like. Banking won't lend to them, which is why we need counter, which is why we need mutual banking. And then and, and government regulations keep them from functioning to the full capacity. Yeah, this is one where I I I am very strongly, you know, capitalist, and I don't know why capitalists get sucked into defending kind of the unequal pay as much as they yeah. do. You know, because for me it's 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 really simple. Do you own your labor, the tools of your labor and the product of your labor. Like those yeah, are kind of the big three, right? And a lot of people, they get this philosophy and on one of those three points, they just biff it. And I'm just like, I think for me, the capitalist side that biffs it is usually they don't remember to own the tools and product of their labor. They they outsource it to somebody else. Mm -mm. You know, they they want to think that the company takes better care of the tools than they will. And that might make sense if you had a bigger stake in, if you didn't have as big a stake in your product. But when you control the product, Adam Smith had a great uh, breakdown of this when he analyzed how people made shoes like cobblers, because mm. not everybody does have an equal job. And I do think it's important to recognize that some people will choose to make more money than others or make yeah, more, yeah, yeah. or just, you know, even if we get off of this money system, well, they'll just choose to have more stuff. They want to go out, mm. they're go-getters, they want to get more stuff. I don't want to stop any of that. But I just want to make sure you're not getting somebody else's stuff, you know? If I come in, there's a difference between capitalists and entrepreneurs. You're not necessarily the same thing. I think politicians say negative things about co-ops. Yeah, a lot of them do, but even Bernie and AOC, despite all their many flaws, the, Bernie actually has a plan to do more co-ops and ESOPs. Of course, his, his MMT policies are just crap, but he's just seen around, but like we don't see libertarians advocating for that. And I think it's really to our detriment that we don't talk about other ideas like that. Yeah. So what was the question? Um, just like, well, I, I mean, I think we've we've wandered away, but that's okay. I, I yeah. think it was just, you know, what are the like what are the why don't people know more about it or why aren't more people participating in it? But I think we've we've kind of fleshed it out. And is and again it has so much of the world's population working for union for not unions, for co-ops and ESOPs, just federations of them all over the world. And they have a way better track record than the Soviet Union, fucking China, Cuba. And, and uplifting poor people and and actually accomplishing socialism, albeit through market means. Yeah, you know, I 
And I think that that's kind of the key to, to getting better is to yeah. offer this competing thing. And honestly, I think the thing is, is it kind of takes some willingness to lose. Uh, you know, that's what we need to gather, start gray and black market, even even white market co-ops, just to, just to push the idea and get people to be aware of that. But we also need like mutual aid banks. We need to start deregulating cravings so they can support those operations. How does one go about uh, pushing for deregulation? Like, if especially if it's not going to be through the ballot box. And then we're just going to have to use crypto, do a cryptocurrency and just ignore mm. it. Yeah. That's the Agra's way. Yeah, you know, uh, there's... And I you think- can also do it through municipalities. Yeah, there's so much fear that comes with, uh, like, and I think currency is a good example that we don't, Rothbard talked about this, how, like, you won't know, it's hard to say what something will look like with the government mm. out of it when the government's so in it. But it's not it's not crazy to say that it it's probably going to be better. You know, we uh, the example he used was, like, shoes. And he said, yeah. like, well, if the government made shoes, they'd give you crappy shoes, they'd only give you one set, You'd have to like reapply for new shoes eight years. They wouldn't fit. They wouldn't be right. But then if you said, well, I don't want the government in control of shoes anymore, they fill you with all this worry. Would there even be any shoes? Would everybody manage to get shoes? Would Now, of course, because we live in, and obviously shoes are still under regulation, but we st- because mm-hmm. we live in a world where shoes are more free than completely government controlled, well, we know that that's ridiculous. That, like markets not only predate capitalism by thousands of years, oh, because... Yeah. Even before uh, what we call civilization developed, we had intercontinental markets. So we we have we so like it's not a new thing. It's just about it's not about who it's not about government regulating the economy or whether or not we have regulations. Right? It's about who regulates the economy. It, does the state and its capitalist cronies regulate the economy, or does the people and the workers and the consumers regulate the economy? That's the difference. You know, this is I'll finish my point, but I do want to get to that one that like when you're making shoes, like the thing is, it's an absurd example to say the government, you know, right now, nobody would give government control of the shoes. Mm -hmm. But it's easy to say if government was even offering the crappiest of shoe products, you know, it jacked up prices, wasting it left and right, that there would people be people who would say, I just don't know if anybody would have shoes or good shoes or whatever if the government didn't provide them. Now, obviously, they're wrong because we live in this world that we currently do. But imagine that for things that we don't. Like, you brought up crypto. Like, money is another example. We just said, well, if the government wasn't doing it, it'd probably be done like crap. No, it would probably be a lot better (laughs) if people are accountable to this. And I'm not saying crypto is perfect or, you know. It's not. I mean. I mean, my deal monetary policy is just having money back up by economic by the economic output of an area. Yeah. So do you avoid inflation and deflation? And I got the idea from really not Marx that you back up the currency by output. Right. I mean, yeah. Ideally, that's supposed to be you know via you know currency. It's funny, we kind of have gone between like gold standard and like uh, mm. fiat. And it's like, well, shouldn't it be backed up by something? Like probably just a product, right? Like there should be a product or service that is backed up by those dollars. Yeah, Ideally, that's what should decide. happen. But... We're going to have to let the market decide. You know? Right. And I think that that's kind of what the market would want. I mean, the thing is, is markets could affect their currency if we allow them to. We tend to think of, 
it's it's an unfortunate situation when you research economics that's we've tangled finances so much in economics because they really aren't all that related. Finances are a product of economics that we've kind of created. I'm not saying that dollars need to be deleted, but I do think that there is a point where it's like we can say that currency is not serving the role that we wanted it to that like in theory and that only happens because even though the market would want it to serve a different purpose government controls that currency mm. and unfortunately we think of so much of economics through the lens of a currency whereas as you mentioned economics has existed before everything i mean yeah. economics when people talk about it in in uh colleges they always start with the caruso example you're on a desert island and there's only one person economics is there like, mm. you know, regardless of whatever else may be or not exist in the world, economics is there first and foremost before everything else. Um, so you did mention, like, who controls or who gets to regulate? Is it the government or the people? Is there yeah. any chance for it to be nobody? Because I think this goes into the democratic area and people have a fear about democracy because what will happen is the 90 percent will overwhelm a 10 percent. You know, mm. and, and it's, it, you know, you like that when the 10% is like really bad people, but mm. sometimes that 10% is just visionary people and they say no. Well, different committees will probably have different scans anyways. Mm. So it goes, that's what the whole voluntary thing in the whole right yeah. of exit comes in. Gotcha. So several different competing democracies, you know. Yeah. Gotcha. Participatory democracies where anybody anybody in the community can just vote and, and everybody has a vote to say if you don't like it, you can always like be part of another one or like a voice your opposition or you know you, you, because the problem with democracy is is it's bad if the majority rules is a minority rules, but but if you do it right where you have right of exit and you have negotiation, you can get as much people, you can eventually get to the point where as much people as possible will be happy without like either extremes. What's the key to getting there? Because it seems like we have many democracies that you can go to throughout the world. I could pack mm. up and leave and visit another democracy. Why hasn't that seemed to work as far as liberty uh, goes? Why hasn't that set us free if I'm able to leave and participate in another democracy? Because it's centralized, that's the thing. When you centralize anything, you lose out on information. And, and and markets, and we can and it doesn't have to restrict like markets. The thing is, like for example, I may like uh, this certain tree and other people are not necessarily a fan of, but because I like it, the market will give it to me. Begin to so, like it it's just for like environmental stuff, for example, like the reason I want some, like not government, but like peer-to-peer -peer regulation, workers' regulation, is because I don't want my backyard to be full of like pollution and stuff like that. Or it's my neighbor's lawn or a common prop, corp, common property we should pretend to use be polluted. Like commons work if there's like if there's rules that everybody's accountable to. Yeah. So. I, I, we're in the home stretch here, and I want to make sure we cover anything that I didn't lead mm. to you with a question here. So, what are some uh, what's some other stuff about getting to a libertarian society that I didn't cover that you'd want our audience to know? Municipalism. What is that? It's an idea that Bochin came up with that's further been further along by like this like various other people calling municipal municipalism. It's it's based on the observe observation. There's a tension between municipalities and 
centralized states. And, it, and it's because pro, because Butcher pointed out, like, protest doesn't work, and neither would just getting a gun and shooting people. You need something else to do it. And municipalities is the way to, like, we get municipalities to, like, have agreements with each other. We can push out the state and have something oomph to be able to do that. And we get funded to like Geo George's like like land value fees and stuff like that. George's is another one now. That's one even some of the capitalists, as mm-hmm. well as I think I think Georgism is uh, is about one of the most middle philosophies that you can find, and that's yeah. essentially the one tax is mm-hmm. the the land value tax that if you increase There's your land value. Right. Well, you know, it's it's hard to say because it's like, who mm-hmm. is collecting that tax if I decide not to pay it? Right. Like if you I don't if, get the service. And so that is fine. Right. Yeah. Like To me, it's the acceptable form of Georgism, which is why I said I'm like kind of split on it is if it's mm-hmm. like if it's like, hey, pay to play and here's how you pay. That's fine. I do, I do that mm-hmm. constantly. We do that with our relationships without money. I mean, that's that to me is common sense. But if there's a, I think a way a lot of people hype up Georgism is like, that's how we're going to replace, you know, government is now going to be funded. with. Well, it's, only, it's supposed to be only a temporary measure as a thing. And, and it's hard because people see government programs are temporary, but the, but the whole point is, is to like get the city from a, from, from a centralized small body and, and have like participatory budgeting and have other and have powers of cities devolve into like neighborhood assemblies. Right. So if I and it has and it is in as many places around the world that have that and they're working very really well, better than like fucking Soviet Union ever did. Letter <laughs> has been around for almost as long as Cuba and. and Everybody, almost everybody has homes, and yet they're doing really well. Yeah, Singapore I mean, has George's policies too, and they have the highest home ownership in, in the world. Not as, you don't have to like be forced to be able to pay for it, but like if you want to be part of like municipal like internet and sports teams and school, that'd be a good way of of gaining the money to put to to back up the economy with. Yeah, you know, uh, natural disasters or man made disasters or whatever. Other sure, I mean, yeah, I mean, you, we can't predict everything, right? Mm-hmm. And nothing, anytime you try to bottle something up, I think is probably the biggest problem with a centralized economy. Top, top which, central planners, right? We try to predict one thing happening because, of, and sometimes we're right, you know, central planning can get it right generally, mm-hmm. but the only way to be absolutely sure is to put everybody in charge of their own future, you know, to say, yeah. that, this is the risk I'm willing to take. This is the risk I'm not willing to take. This is something I can bet on happening. This is something I won't bet on happening. It's similar to, you know, kind of insurance in that way and saying, do I want to pocket this cash? Cause I can do awesome stuff with this cash. And right also now. I understand like consumers are also the ones regulating the economy too. just by them choosing to buy like Coke or Pepsi, for example, they're, they are, they are, well, it's not a hundred percent democratic. You do get what you want. If it, and, and it does influence the way resources go. Yeah. The, 
I forgot what I was going to say, but yeah, Henry George, you know, most of famous uh, American economist ever. Uh, it's funny because I think, you know, libertarians, we get tied up so much in, in people that I might like better than Henry George, but mm. uh, George is, as far as globally, he's, he's going to be the one that makes it in all the textbooks and brings up a lot of uh, good points. A lot of interesting points, blends a lot of different theories together that we've talked about here and people kind of settle in on it as a good way. Now, uh, how, how, how would you say we get, you know, if we want to talk about municipalism, if I'm paying a tax to one entity to play, and then we decide to become a smaller entity because we've, grown so much mm. how do i convince people to leave the large entity for the smaller one uh how do i convince the people who are in control who the people who i'm paying taxes to how do i convince them to like relinquish control because that seems to be kind of a consistent issue in history yeah that would have right? to be written into like the contract okay if they decide to break the contract then we just kind of gotta do what yeah. we gotta do yeah Okay. I, that's, that's a hard one. I haven't thought of it. I've just seen examples of it working around the world, and I figure it might be useful for us. But <laughs> as far as the detail, that has to be worked out by everyday people doing the actions. And I, we can't just like sensory plan liberty, and but it is worth thinking about. That's just yeah. one other option, and and in the, and it can also back up the syndicalists and the mutualism and, and even back up the black the green black market from the official states yeah well i mean it's a it's, it's a like complementary strategies mixed together yeah you know I, I i once was reading um uh <clears throat> some friedman and he was talking I th oh, this is actually david friedman i'm sorry there's there's two very oh, yeah. famous libertarian friedman so this yeah. is the david friedman and uh in his machine of freedom and i i liked what he had to say because he's he was able to give a vision of what might happen in a libertarian society but the most accurate thing is to say that there's probably a billion things that'll happen in the libertarian society yeah. everybody wants that's one answer about it yeah yeah Everybody wants one answer and there's probably a thousand answers you know mm, it's, i it's just not... keep some of it right here right so it's just not something that that we can be able to say like that's what's going to happen consistently. So and and in a good way, right? Like we can paint one vision and that and here's here's the great part about it is as a libertarian if I paint a vision that looks better than the status quo, there could still be better versions of that vision. There mm -hmm. won't be worse. We know at least the market wants one vision, but mm -hmm. there may be other visions that are better. You know, and so like, like and your that, vision versus my vision, right? Because everybody has different wants, likes, needs. You know, like I think the thing is when you're dealing with individualism, people you they tend to compare it to government directly, mm, and it's yeah, really right. apples to oranges because mm. government's providing usually one monopolistic service in one way, mm. and so when somebody says like, "Well, how will the police look in a libertarian society?" All I can oh, tell no. you is it's going to look different. In a yeah, million different cops. ways. If I have a community, I do not want cops. In exactly. Some people are going to want the defense. Some people won't. Some people are going to want to make sure that mm. they and their neighbors are on the same page when it comes to defense. Others won't. And some people are going to pay, choose what they want to pay for that service. Yeah. And the thing, so it's going to look a billion different ways. And the thing is, is because there are billions of people, we want it to look billions of different ways so that everybody can kind of customize it to what they're feeling. Um, 
you know, and, and I think that that is, that's kind of an important thing to understand when, when we engage in this is we're talking a lot about the future right now, but it's important to understand the process is you're not it's, just trying yeah, to markets are a process, not a, not an angle. Anarchism is a process, right. not an angle. Right. It is, it is this journey where we say, I am not trying to provide a, you're not going to go out tomorrow and provide a co competition for all of healthcare. You may be able to provide a, a better way for people to heal from a broken arm, you know, in one way. And, the, you know, you don't have to base, you don't have to say, well, how's this looking entire system? You don't have to answer that today or tomorrow. You can just do what is right today. A lot of people, you are probably participating in at least some form of agorism, whether you've embraced the entire philosophy or not. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of people who say, I don't like the way government does this, so I'm doing it differently. You know, try, I mean, just ask homeschoolers and see the, or unschoolers and see the millions of different examples that come up by competing educational systems. Now there is a unified department of education that'll give you a standardized curriculum. What does the alternative look like? There's not one answer. There's a million mm -hmm. and go ahead and feel, feel free. In fact, feel empowered to go ahead and provide 1 million and one, you know, be that person mm -hmm. who says, I think this is going to work better, you know, because that's really how it works. It isn't just, we want systems that compete with government schools, maybe in the classic sense that, hey, I think it's best to be in a classroom. I think it's best to learn this way or a single curriculum or a single standardized test. Fine. Mm. But then there's going to be other people that say no. And all of those systems are going to be tolerated. We have a couple minutes left here um, yeah. before we got to split. I want you to have anything you want to say to close you know, leave our audience with something and then go ahead and tell them where to either find you or projects that you're supporting. I know we kind of mentioned some of them already, but, you know, talk about, uh, talk about yourself a little bit. Uh, yeah. Take, you, oh, take okay. yourself at least like five minutes. Oh, okay. Yeah. You can follow me at twitter.com slash low girl Cressida, capital L-I-L and then girl Cressida, C-R-I-S-S-I-D-A. Or any and follow me on YouTube because I'm planning on posting my first YouTube in over a year, in a in within the week of not month or so, something like that. And it's gonna be a and you can find me on YouTube under Great Black and Great Market Anarchist, or you can just go YouTube.com/slash The Vegan Anarchist because that's my old channel name, and you can find me there to subscribe. Okay, awesome. Thanks so yeah, no problem. Thanks so much for, for coming on the show. I really appreciate you taking the time and talking with the audience. I hope everybody uh, enjoyed it. Uh, after a lot of weeks of kind of no news happening, uh, we had a lot of kind of smaller stories uh, happen this last week. Specifically, I've, I've been tuning into the uh, Johnny Depp Amber Heard. Uh, I don't even it's not even a trial. It's a, it's I don't I, I forget the the legal term for it but I've been watching that on TV. We'll probably be talking about that up this next week everybody so stay tuned. Uh, I think there's some it 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 sounds stupid, sounds like a waste of time. I think there's going to be some interesting things you will find out uh from that show. So stay tuned, stay with us Brian uh and Lou. Uh Brian is out having the trip of a lifetime because he is awesome and did great at work. And as much as I'd like to punish him, he will be gone for several weeks. But we're gonna find you some some other great guests. So thanks everybody for tuning in and we will catch you See all next time. Bye. Adios. <laughs>